Every possible weather you could want in one week. There you go. Welcome to West Michigan. But yesterday and today, totally glorious. Okay, you can take that off. Apparently, it's really distracting. I thought you guys could handle that. Yesterday and today, totally glorious. We were outside every minute that we could possibly be yesterday. I was out cleaning the garage. I was doing some yard work. I was washing windows. I was going, riding a family bike ride, going to the park. Just had to be outside, right? So while I'm doing some yard work outside yesterday afternoon, Stacy brought Eli inside, put him down for a nap. She sits down on our back deck, sitting in a chair, her feet up on another chair, face pointed towards the sun, and it was this moment of glory, feeling the warmth of this thing coming down on her face. And while I was watching her enjoy this moment, I looked at her and I said, we made it. We made it through another Michigan winter. And it was also, we actually kind of had a a short conversation about it where I kind of forget how hard winter can be for me sometimes. Like how, how miserable I sort of am. Like I feel like I'm just kind of caged up inside all the time. And if I go outside, my face hurts. So I just stay, I just stay inside. But, but then when you finally, it gets warm enough to go outside, it's like, whoa, I forgot how glorious this is. Anybody else feel that way? Or am I just like really weird? Okay, we've got a, that's, that's a good handful right there. Um, you know, even in that moment, nah, I don't even say that, it doesn't matter. Spring is here. We have been set free from being inside, and it's glorious. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. Last week, uh, Stacy did a great job teaching you guys a little bit about the story of John chapter 9, the, uh, the blind man whom Jesus healed. And you guys did an amazing job sharing some of your stories. I was asking why, da 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 but now I see And this is the ways I've seen God's faithfulness in my life. And I was thinking about those stories again and again and again. I was just so thankful for each of you and for this community that we have where we can just be honest about these kinds of things that are in our lives. And it's just evident that God is doing something in our midst. We're going to look at another story tonight. Uh, Before we dive into that, a little bit of context. Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead. He was just anointed by Mary in Bethany, which is about two miles from Jerusalem, just on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And now we're going to come to our story tonight. It's found in John chapter 12. Go ahead and turn there if you have a Bible. If you do not have a Bible and would like one, you can just raise your hand right here. And we have some amazing people in the back who would love to help you out. John chapter 12. Before we dive into our story, there's two things that I'm going to need your your help with. One is to just know that tonight I'm going to ask you just to kind of hang with me a little bit. We're going to cover a lot of stuff in the next few minutes and just trust the process, trust that it's all going to make sense, and trust that it's going to matter, I think. Uh, The other thing I'm going to need you to help me out with is to answer a few questions after I read this story. The questions we're going to ask are who, what, where, why, 
and when. So just be aware of that as I read these few verses. The verses will also be on the screen if that's helpful for you. John chapter 12, starting at verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, our first question, who? Who are the characters in the story? Jesus, all right, we got the first answer right. Who else is in the story? Disciples, who else? A donkey, very good. And a, a large crowd, okay? And what's happening in the story? Just give me a little bit of what's going on. Synopsis, a couple things. Jesus is riding a donkey. Thank you. Very good. What else is happening in the story? What's that? People are waving palm branches. Very good. What else? And they're shouting what? They're sh- oh, you guys all did it basically at the same time. That was beautiful. They're shouting what? Uh, where are they? They're in Jerusalem, specifically on the Mount of Olives. Very good. Why is the story happening? This one's a little bit trickier. Fulfill a prophecy. Very good. Very good. Uh, That's one of the reasons here. Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy found in Zechariah chapter 9. You can look at that later if you would like. The last question for now is when? When is this happening? On a Sunday. Very good. What else? Before Passover. Very good. So it says in verse 12, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. In chapter 12, verse 1, that feast specifically mentions Passover. So let's talk for a minute about Passover. What is Passover? Uh, The Old Testament background for this festival actually began in Egypt. At the end of Genesis, it tells the story of this guy named Joseph who was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. Eventually, Joseph comes to power. We don't have time to go into all the details of the story. He comes to power, and God uses Joseph to save the Egyptian people and all the Israelite people from a horrible famine. Eventually, the Israelites increase in number, and they increase in number, and they increase in number, and they're all living in Egypt. And Egypt, finally, several pharaohs later, realizes, okay, there's too many Israelites in our, in our space here. We better make these guys become slaves before they revolt and they don't do what we want them to do. So then Israel became slaves to Egypt for the next 400 years. Being in bondage for 400 years to me would be like worse than being inside for winter for 400 years. Okay? So You just got to feel this a little bit. What would it be like to be in slavery for 400 years? Obviously, that's not, you're not going to experience the whole 400 years, but 
for your entire lifetime. That's all you know. That's all you know. Slavery. But God raised up a prophet. His name is Moses, who defeated Egypt and Pharaoh through 10 devastating plagues. That's found in Exodus 7 through 12. Moses led God's people out of Egypt. They came out of slavery. They came through the Red Sea, across the desert for 40 years, and eventually they come circling around into the promised land. Another thing about Passover is that in the Old Testament, God says all the religious Jewish people should go to Jerusalem for worship three times a year. For the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Passover. Okay? Feast of Passover. And if for some reason you or your family just were not able to make the trek to Jerusalem for Tabernacles or Pentecost, okay, maybe. But the most important of these three festivals was definitely Passover. Scholars estimate that there were maybe 30,000 people living in Jerusalem during the time of Jesus. And then Passover comes. And there's anywhere between 100,000 and 300,000 people that descend on the city. It's sort of like East Lansing or Ann Arbor on a beautiful fall Saturday morning, okay? People are driving from all over the state, north, south, east, west, to go to a tailgating party and a big game. It's going to be like this festival kind of deal. But in Jesus' day, they were traveling from Galilee or they're traveling from Rome, and Passover is a week-long celebration. It was a big deal. It still is a big deal, actually. So here's a picture of the Western Wall, which is one of the holiest sites in Jerusalem. Kind of down to the right, you see this wall that goes this direction. It's one of the holiest sites in Judaism. It's also an open-air synagogue. This is just what it looks like on a typical day. This is what it looks like on Passover. Or this. 75,000 people pack into that place on Passover. Passover also was not, it's not just a celebration because it's supposed to be some sort of festival. Passover was the defining festival of Judaism for over 3,000 years. It marks the moment from when Israel went from slavery to freedom. Passover is a story of political and spiritual liberation, God's people going from bondage to freedom. Are we feeling Passover a little bit? Okay, so during the time of Jesus, Rome ruled the world. Rome was this massive empire that controlled everything. Jerusalem's kind of in the bottom right corner over there on that map. The Jewish people hated being under the occupation of Rome. Rome was a big pagan empire, and the Jewish people didn't like being ruled by a big pagan empire. They had a passionate desire for freedom from the Romans and the oppressive Herod dynasty that had ruled them for many years. Revolts actually rumbled continuously, mostly underground, for uh, several years. And I think it's helpful to, to realize that this is part of the underlying struggle that was going on. It's kind of a backdrop for Jesus' ministry and why so many people hoped that Jesus would eventually become a king. And the king that they were seeking was not necessarily the kind of king that Jesus actually was. They were seeking a king who would come in on a big draft horse with a sword in his hand. They wanted Jesus to lead some sort of revolt to help overthrow the Roman 
dynasty. So in our story for tonight, what are they waving in their hands again? Palm branches. I brought one for you. Here you go. It's not really a real one, but it's a palm branch. They're waving palm branches, a symbol that had been placed on Jewish coins when the Jewish nation was actually free. Palm branch was not a symbol of peace and love, as we Christians uh, usually assume, but it was actually a, a symbol of Jewish nationalism, an expression of their desire for political freedom. In fact, there's, um, there's actually a story found in 1 Maccabees chapter 13 of a guy by the name of Simon Maccabeus, who had just led a revolt and overthrew the uh, oppressing Syrians, and he comes back into Jerusalem, and as, peop- as he's coming back into Jerusalem, people are waving palm branches and singing and shouting and totally excited that he is the new king and he just led this revolt. That's a story that took place just a couple hundred years before this story. And what are they singing and what are they shouting in our story? And what are they singing and what are they shouting in this story? Hosanna. Does anybody know what the word Hosanna means? Save. Save us. Literally, Hoshana means please save us now. It's kind of like this desperate cry, please, please save us. And they're, they're shouting Hosanna. They're shouting, Jesus is coming in on a donkey. And they're, they're, they're not doing this, like worshiping, like they know that he's Messiah, but they're, they're begging him to come and be the king who's going to come with a sword in his hand and take over. We don't want to be oppressed by the Romans anymore. Please, please save us. Will you be the king who's going to rise up? Hosanna. They're actually quoting Psalm 118. Save us, or Hosanna, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Passover, the celebration of Israel being set free, was just days away. Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. The people are waving their palm branches and shouting Hosanna. Please save us. Give us freedom. We're sick of being oppressed by these Romans. They wanted Jesus to be their king. And they were desperately seeking freedom. What they didn't understand, I don't think anyway, is that this is exactly why Jesus had come. To Jerusalem for the final time. Jesus had come to Jerusalem for this final time to actually offer freedom. Just not quite the way that they were anticipating that he would. The, na- the word Passover actually gets its name from the final plague in Egypt. The plague took the life of every firstborn son in Egypt, from Pharaoh's son to all of their cattle. The Israelites were spared if they marked their homes with blood from a lamb. So they would kill a lamb, and they would sprinkle some of the blood on these hyssop branches, and they would paint it on the door frames of their houses. And once 
An angel of death came by, saw the blood, he would spare the people inside. If there was no blood on the doorpost, then the, the angel of death would pass. Or, well, me, I got that backwards. If there was no blood on the doorpost, they would lose their firstborn child. If there was blood on the doorpost, the angel of death would pass over that household. And because of this, a primary way of celebrating Passover was actually to sacrifice a lamb. Now, one final important piece. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. These words will also be on the screen if that's helpful for you. Here are some specific instructions that God gives his people concerning Passover celebrations. Exodus chapter 12, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. <clears throat> your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Okay, a couple of things about this passage. God is saying, okay, on the first day of the first month, it doesn't exactly say the name of the month there, but they're referring to the month of Nisan. Say Nisan. Sort of like the car, okay? Except with one S. Uh, and it says on the 10th of Nisan, on the 10th day of that month, they're supposed to do what? Select a lamb. On the 10th of Nisan, they're supposed to select a lamb, one for each household, or and eventually after they kill the lamb, they're going to eat the lamb. And so if it's just me and Stacy and Jaden and Eli, we would share that lamb with a few neighbors because there's no way we're going to be able to eat that whole thing. Okay, so that's kind of what they're saying there. On the 10th of Nisan, you select your lamb. And then on what day is that lamb sacrificed? On the 14th. So the idea is, on the 10th of Nisan, you select this lamb, and you take the next four days to invite it into your house, to love on it, to care for it, to feed it, to have your kids kind of fall in love with it. And then a few days later, and also in that process, making sure that there's no blemishes, there's nothing wrong with this lamb. And then on the 14th of Nisan, the lamb is sacrificed. God wanted, God wanted the sacrifice to cost them something. He wanted them to feel a connection with, with that lamb. And I think that you would when you just spent a few days hanging out with that lamb. Uh, on one particular year, about 2,000 years ago, Passover fell on a Friday using historians using calendar and the account of the four gospels 
it has been discovered that Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, took place on the 10th of Nisan. Lamb Selection Day. Palm Sunday takes place on Lamb Selection Day. Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. People are singing and shouting and they're waving their palm branches, begging for Jesus to save them. Meanwhile, 100,000 lambs are being brought into homes all over Jerusalem to be inspected for the next few days. Jesus comes down the Mount of Olives, and over the next few days, he is being inspected by his family, by these people. And people like Herod, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, the thief on the cross, They all found Jesus to be a lamb without blemish. In fact, John begins his gospel with John the Baptist seeing Jesus and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's how John begins his gospel. And then a few years later, Jesus comes riding on a donkey down the Mount of Olives on Lamb Selection Day. And in these next few days, people are going to try to figure out what is wrong with this man and why does he deserve to die. Mark tells us that Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m., the time of the morning sacrifice, and Jesus died exactly at 3 p.m., the time of the evening sacrifice. And while Jesus was on the cross... Uh, soldiers actually decided to expedite the dying process of those who had been crucified. So Jesus is hanging on his cross here, and we've got the thief on the left and on the right. The soldiers come up, and they break the legs of the thieves on both sides of Jesus. And as they break their legs, it would expedite the dying process. They would either bleed out, or they would die from asphyxiation more quickly, because they no longer were able to push up on the nail in their feet to be able to get a breath. When they came to Jesus, they realized he was already dead and there was no reason to break his legs. Another way that the lamb was unblemished. No broken bones. When thousands and thousands, maybe even 300,000 people gather in Jerusalem, to celebrate being set free from slavery in Egypt. When thousands of unblemished lambs are making their way into people's homes to figure out if they are perfect enough for this sacrifice. When people are shouting Hosanna and they're waving their palm branches, begging God to save them. Jesus did. Jesus hosannaed them by becoming the ultimate Passover sacrifice. Maybe you are here tonight. Maybe you don't know much about this Jesus guy. Maybe you're hearing this story for the first time. Today is Palm Sunday, Lamb Selection Day. 
And today kicks off what we Christians refer to as Holy Week. Maybe you can spend these next few days, these next four days specifically, taking a closer look. Who is this Jesus guy? Who is this guy who claimed to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Maybe you can spend a little bit more time this week hearing the stories or reading some of the stories of Jesus and trying to discover if he is a lamb that is worthy to be sacrificed for Passover. Or maybe there's something in your life that is keeping you in bondage. Maybe you don't even know what freedom feels like. To the Jewish people, they knew what slavery felt like, and then they felt this experience of freedom, and there was much rejoicing. Maybe you're here tonight, and you still feel like, in some ways, you're just kind of stuck in Egypt. Or you're stuck in winter, and you don't know how to get out. You're stuck in this habit of sin, or darkness, or temptation, or or whatever it is. Don't go back to Egypt. Because the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world offers us freedom. There's no reason to go back there. Passover marked freedom for Israel from 400 years of slavery. God did not want them to forget their story. So much so that over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament, God says, this to his people. Here's a few verses here as examples. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Over and over and over again, God is telling his people, don't forget Don't forget what it's like to be in slavery. So much so that our our Jewish friends, even today, when they refer to this story, they say, when we were slaves in Egypt. They don't say when they. Our Jewish friends say, when we were enslaved in Egypt. When God brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. They want to identify this as their story Not just that story. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Friends, this is our Passover story. And because of this, we have freedom. And because of this, and only this, You and I have hope. And this week, we have this incredible opportunity to celebrate this hope and this freedom and this new life. And we don't have to live in slavery or in bondage anymore. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And this week, we get to celebrate true everlasting freedom. Not just we were slaves in Egypt and now we don't have to be slaves anymore. We get to celebrate true everlasting freedom. 
I feel like, man, these people knew how to, these people knew how to party. These people knew how to celebrate that story. How much more could we, should we be able to celebrate our story? What does that look like for you this week? Not just this week, but every day we get to celebrate this kind of freedom. For Christ, our unblemished Passover lamb has been sacrificed. May we sing and shout Hosanna to the one who has saved us and set us free. Please pray with me. Jesus, we... Sometimes I don't know what to do with this story. It's a story that I've heard countless times in my own life. But I don't want this week to just be another, another holy week. I don't want today just to be another Palm Sunday. And I don't want next Sunday to be just another Easter. I want, I want to look at you differently. I want us to be able to look at you more closely. I want us to invite you into our home and to inspect and develop a relationship with you over these next few days so that we have a greater understanding of what takes place on Friday and the hope that we have that's coming next week's Sunday. God, I pray that you will help us to remember who we were when we are trapped in bad habits or addictions or darkness that just seems to surround us and temptations that just come flooding over us. I pray that we will remember who we are in you and that we remember and we can claim the hope that we have because of what you did on the cross. We thank you, God, that you are perfect, that you are unblemished, and that you are the perfect sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.